Are you excited to be here? All right, let's stand up and greet one another. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. I was thinking about that first service, but then, all right, okay. For now, we can't do that, but we will. For those of you who do not like the stand and greet, this is heaven for you, right? <laughs> yeah. I knew there'd be someone. Yeah. But um, anyway, it's good to be here. It's good to be in this place that we have come to know as a place of worship, a place of fellowship, a place where uh, we can be instructed, counseled by the Lord. We can uh, sit at his feet and uh, we can laugh and cry together. This is the place that we've come to know right here that we can that we're able to do that. And so it's with great joy that I, that I can come up to this pulpit and, uh, and say, welcome to refuge. You know, it's been two months, two long months. And, uh, and so, you know, we're making preparations now for Christmas and, uh, I'm just kidding. You know, it it just seems like it's been such a long time, hasn't it? Yeah. It's like two months. We were here in March, and we were thinking perhaps we'd come back in, um, you know, by Easter. But of course, we we know how things went, and um, and here we are two months later. And so we need to continue to pray, continue to pray for um, our country, continue to pray for uh, our world, because um, you know the the coronavirus has, has impacted um, the whole world. Uh, we know that Italy was hit hard and so many other countries, um, ours, um, you know, we, we've had tens of thousands of people who have perished uh, to the coronavirus. Um, and, uh, and we as a fellowship um, have not gone through this without being impacted personally. Um, as as our, our great friend, I was looking through pictures, um, you know, as, as they come up on Facebook. You know, they come up from a year ago or two years ago or three years ago, uh, just on, on memories. And, uh, and I, I keep having these videos and these pictures come up of, um, of the missionary team's uh, visit to Haiti. And, um, and on every missionary tri- uh, t- uh, trip, um, one of the people who have made it a point to come every time uh, was Charlie. And he was there every single time, and he enjoyed it. He thoroughly enjoyed going to Haiti. I, I think about those times, and, and I would ask him, Charlie, how are you doing? And he says, man, I'm doing so good. It's so good to be here. Um, he, he felt really good um, health-wise. Uh, you know, just uh, he felt really strong. It's just the climate there was just really conducive to his, his health. And he just he felt great. He just felt great. Not only that, but he was serving. We were serving the Lord together in Haiti. And, um, and so on May 9th at 4.51 a.m., Charlie was called home. You know, um, we were making preparations for him to go home, to go home to his home in Redlands. And yet the Lord was making preparations to bring Charlie home, home to heaven. That is the very place that you and I, in Christ, have the hope of being for all eternity. In the very place that we long to be, in the presence of our Lord for all eternity. And so, 
It's with great sadness that we have at this point had to part ways with Charlie for the time being. But for us as Christians, we say, I'll see you later, right? It's for a short time. And our lives are but a vapor. They're very brief. And at some point we will be with Charlie, but more importantly with Charlie, we'll be in the presence of the Lord for all eternity. And so we know Charlie, and we know Jesus' father also went home to be with the Lord. And, uh, and that was because of complications that uh, were brought on because of the coronavirus. And so b- both, both of these have been very painful for the church here. And for those who are close to Jesus and Liz, and uh, of course, of course uh, with uh, Charlie and Cindy. And so I would encourage you to please pray for Jesus and his family and pray for Cindy and their family as well, as they continue to deal with, of course, the grieving of, of their, their, their loved ones. And so, so we, we know. But that's the thing, is that we come here this morning because we have a great message. We have a message of hope. One of the things, if, if I may, um, you know, Jesus was able to share with his father and talk with him um, in length about the Lord. And I know as, as Jesus and I, we spoke afterwards, it brought him great joy to know that he was able to spend that time. And he says, it was one of the most wonderful times that I've spent with my father. He was able to spend that time with him and, and just share the Lord with him in, in a way that was just, he said it was just special. It was just special. As his dad received the encouragement that Jesus offered to his father. What a, what a special moment. That's the very same message, Jesus. That's the very same message that for us, we get to bring to those who are without hope, who have really nothing to cling to but this life. And and really, this life, there's nothing to cling to. You know, as as Solomon said, you know, the, the end of man is this, that you fear God and obey his commandments. You know, after he tried everything under the sun, and he said, there's nothing new under the sun, nothing new. And he said, but in the end, this, this is it. This is what it comes down to. Fear God and obey his commandments. Believe on him. Look to him. Trust in him. So it's with that that we bring this morning's message. Now, I want to also um, acknowledge, you know, as, as tomorrow uh, is Memorial Day. Uh, Memorial Day, you know, just so we know, Memorial Day is not Veterans Day um, you know, and so for those of you who have served, um, thank you. Um, who are currently serving, thank you. But tomorrow is a day for those who have laid down their lives for the sake of our country and the freedoms that we get to enjoy today. Tomorrow's, tomorrow is Memorial Day. There are still people today who are in various parts of the country who and the world that are serving and are willing to lay down their lives for you and I, that we could exercise our freedoms here in the U.S., which is wonderful. But tomorrow's a day for those who have fallen, for those who have fallen. And so to them, I salute, and we salute, and we acknowledge, and we are truly thankful for. They have shed their blood on our behalf, but there is one, there is one, who shed his blood for all. His name is Jesus Christ. And so we, we look to him. He is our Savior, right? All these things can fade away, and they will at some point. 
Even our beloved country will one day be no more. But we will be forever in the presence of the Lord because of the sacrifice of one man on the cross. Jesus Christ shed his blood that we may be forgiven. So I I do want to acknowledge, though, um, because I think it's appropriate. I think it's very fitting for us at this very moment. If we could stand to our feet, please. We're going to do something here. And, and we're going to go from, from one to the next. I'm going to, I'm going to cue up the, the song number two. Song number two, I just want to say this. Uh, it was now 32, oh my goodness, 32 years ago. 32 years ago. <laughs> it's difficult to say that even. I was, uh, I, I was uh, bald and uh, and I was uh, laying in a bunk when when I heard this song for the first time while I was in boot camp. So it was boot camp. Everyone's bald. Everyone was was and it was it was it was tapped. It was time to go to sleep. And our company commander said, "This song, you will get to hear when you've earned it. When I believe that you guys are are ready, you guys are fully committed and and, and realize what this means." And, and I remember, I remember laying in my bunk and for me, it was just this, like this, this welling up of pride. Like I had never felt before for this country that I, that I get to live in. And no matter what, listen, this is still the most wonderful country in the whole world. There, there is, there is nothing that compares to this country, not at all, not even close and I've been all over the world, and I, I always come back to the U.S., and I, yeah, I thank God, Lord, for allowing us to live in this place we call America. And, uh, and so I remember the first time I heard the, the second song that we're going to hear, I was just, just, uh, just uh, the sense of, of, uh, of pride, of being a part of something that was, was really big and important, and, uh, and just, just crying. But I was crying tears of joy and tears of just being there in that, in that place with the barracks with all of the other men that uh, were doing the very same thing. So please stand with me as we salute. Just my children and my wife. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hail at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars. Through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched Were so gallantly streaming And the rockets red The bombs bursting in air Gave proof through the 
Father, we are so, uh, so thankful, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for, for your mercy, your grace, your love. I pray, Lord, that um, 
Lord, you would be with our president and all of our leaders. Lord, that you would give them wisdom, discernment. We acknowledge, Lord, that uh, you allow things to happen for your own reasons. And, uh, and for that, Lord, we, we acknowledge you as sovereign God. And we ask, Father, that uh, you, would, you would have mercy on our nation. That uh, you would be with all those families that have experienced losses. And, uh, and that you would be their comfort and be their strength. And I pray, Lord, that, that uh, you would have more people focus on you, look to you, trust in you. And surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. Be- because we know that as we surrender our lives to Christ as Lord and Savior, that we know an eternal life in Him. And so I pray, Father, that you would bless our time together, that you would be honored and glorified, and that you would give us understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So uh, please turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We're going to continue our study through the book of Acts, um, where we left off just last week in our study. Uh, We finished up chapter uh, 9 and verse 19, and then we're going to continue in the life of Saul. Now, something to consider with Saul is that here was a man who who, who came to know a new life in Christ. He... What an amazing conversion. I know not everyone experiences this um, kind of a radical conversion as Saul did, perhaps on the road to Damascus. Uh, But I think more so it was perhaps established, perhaps it happened in Damascus, not necessarily on the road to Damascus. He was confronted by Jesus there. But at that point, he was blinded. Keep in mind that he was blinded. For three days, he fasted and prayed And it wasn't until later that his eyes were open to see what what God would have him to see. And he acted on his faith. And so the title of this morning's message is The New Has Come. The New Has Come. I think that we have much to learn from uh, this section of scripture that we have before us this morning. The new has come because as we are new creatures in Christ, we should be exemplifying. We should be proving by the way we conduct ourselves and our lives in in its entirety that we truly belong to Jesus Christ and that he is our Lord and our Savior. So we're going to go through Acts chapter 9 verses 20 through 31. But I want to start out by reading. uh, Well, let's read a few of those verses and and then we'll continue. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. And let's go back to verse 19, the second portion, and then we'll go through a few. All right, so it says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here? For this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Heavenly Father, once again, we ask for your blessing upon this time of study. Lord, as we consider Saul and how it was that at the very beginning, Lord, you... you 
We see such a radical change in in Saul, and yet he was um, he was still learning. He was uh, being prepared for more. And so I pray that as his faith was proven, so ours would be too. And that we would see these examples as things perhaps that we too should look at in our own lives to see if perhaps we're truly strong in our faith and trust in you fully. And so encourage us by your word. Correct us by your word. And may we trust in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in, uh, in this chapter, uh, we can start out by reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And throughout this morning's message, you will hear me refer to different areas of the New Testament. Now, we know that the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So he was used powerfully by the Lord. And, and of course, he was used mightily by the Lord then as he is even today. But who else would know better than this very verse right here that he wrote? 2 Corinthians 5.17, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. You who once were no longer is, and now you are a completely new creation. Paul knew that as he was Saul one day and Paul the next. He was a completely new creation. The old had passed away. Behold, the new has come. And he could declare that with certainty. And we can declare that with certainty as we are in Christ. For Saul, although he had experienced a conversion and was baptized, only time would tell if he was truly born again. Now we have, to our benefit, uh, we know know Saul and Saul of Tarsus, and we know the Apostle Paul. Uh, We know so much of... The New Testament was written by him, and so we have the benefit of that. But if you will, for a moment, just stay with the chronological order that we're going in and consider Saul at this time a brand new convert. Think about that. Questions that would be asked of him. Would he fold under opposition? Would he fold under the rejection of his fellow Jews, of his peers? Would he fold under the threat of life? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. As we see this, the uh, parable of the sower. And the seed, that is God's word being planted in the hearts of people. And, and this is, this is, these are the words of Jesus. This is what he was explaining. This is the explanation of the parable of the sower. And think about this as we think about Saul and perhaps your own life and perhaps about others around you. So in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 18, it says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. If we don't understand the word and you desire to understand it, please ask. We would love to answer any questions. If you don't have understanding. But he continues on. He says, this is what was sown along the path. 
As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So we consider the parable of the sower. Why? Because we want to know, we, we can tell by what scripture tells us whether, you know, anyone is, are we in the first group, the second group, the third, or are we in the fourth, you know? Really, we want to be that one person, right, that receives the word of God and it falls on good soil and it produces fruit that is, well, that pertains to a person who is now a new creature in Christ, bears the fruit of Christ. So with that, we, we, we look to the life of Saul. Was Saul truly a new creature in Christ? We can ask that question now. Uh, he had a new perspective. He had new desires. He had a, a refocused zeal to reveal to all who Jesus Christ is. But the question is, will it last? Will it last? Before he was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was on a quest to stop all those who were spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And now he was on a quest to spread Christianity, to proclaim to the world the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Once a persecutor, now a promoter. Amazing conversion. But listen to this. At the beginning of his new life in Christ, Saul will not have that much success in leading people to Christ. We'll see that in a few moments. So remember that. Because remember this. I don't know who said this, but many people have quoted it. Perhaps someone knows. But I heard this quote. Quote, it doesn't matter how high you jump, but how straight you walk when you land. Close quote. I know a lot of people that come and they're so overjoyed with... uh, you know, just salvation and all that. And, and it, man, they, they're, they jump real high. <laughs> they want to do everything. Everything. But I've come to know in the years that I've been walking with the Lord that uh, I just, let's just see where they fall. <laughs> when they do fall and they, they come to ground, you know, with you and I and, and they get hit with some things along the way, Let's see how straight they walk with the Lord. Because really, that's, that's what matters. That's what matters. Our faith, consistent over time. D.L. Moody said this, quote, Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but at succeeding at something that really doesn't matter. Close quote. 
keep this in mind because Saul realized that the previous day he was succeeding at something that really didn't matter. And now he knew the one that does matter. And that the message of salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ was worth living for completely. Completely being devoted to him. Romans 1.16, which was written by the Apostle Paul, said this later. He said, for I am not ashamed, Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and who, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, a young lady by the name of Adriana Rangel, very wise in her years, she had a question. She said, and by the way, she's part of our children's ministry here, and she said this, she said, is the New Testament still new? She confounded the scholars, the biblical scholars But is the New Testament really new, or still new? The answer to that is, of course, it is new. It will always be new. Because it's not dependent on man. It was and is completely dependent on the Lord. It will always be new. It will always be new because through God's promise of salvation in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and made new. We are new creatures that experience a hope that is eternal in the heavens. And by the way, will never be lost. One day it will be fully realized. I believe Saul knew this. And his belief and faith in Jesus was why he never stopped proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. No matter what obstacles were before him, how he was opposed, what he faced, the dangers, and no, no matter what, he knew this and continued to declare and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The new, re, the new really did come in Paul, whom we know at this moment as Saul. He was a new creature in Christ with a new hope that would never fade and would be proven in consistency over time. Think about this. A new hope that will never fade. But does it fade in you? Is there evidence of that hope like kind of, kind of just fading like it's, it's become old? Like, yeah, okay, yeah, I have, I have that hope in Christ. One day I will be in his presence. But is that being expressed in your life? And if so, how? Tell me how. Tell the Lord how. You see, Paul had passed, had a past. Do you have a past? Paul had difficulties in the present. Do you have difficulties in the present? He, he had both. But knew, he knew this. He knew his hope, strength, and purpose was completely in Christ. The new life in Christ perseveres. Number one, persevering through a personal past is what we're going to look at. Number two, persevering through present difficulties. And number three, persevering through the threat of personal harm. Let's start out with um, the first section here that we read through, verses 19 through 22. It says once more, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. 
And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When Saul first came to Christ, he spent some days in Damascus with the Christians there. Now, we don't know what they discussed. You know, you, you consider what discussions perhaps you had when you first came to Christ with those who were, had already been believers for some time and, and you had lots of questions and you went back and forth. Perhaps you joined a Bible study and you grew in your strength and your understanding of Jesus Christ and, and, and you, you did that. But we don't have the privilege of knowing all the little details of the, the discussions that Saul had with the disciples there in Damascus. But we do know that for three days he had been blind, that he spent praying and fasting and seeking the Lord up until Ananias arrived at the house of Judas. He laid his hands on him. He prayed for him. He received the Holy Spirit and he received his sight. Physically, he could see once more. And it was at that point that he rose to his feet. He ate something, but the next thing he did was he was baptized. Saul, just like Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch as we already went through this, the, uh, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and how it was that Philip uh, went to him and explained to him who Jesus was from the scriptures, beginning in Isaiah, at the point to where he believed, he asked them, as they came upon this body of water, what prevents me from being baptized? And pretty much what he was told is, nothing do you believe. I believe. Let's baptize you. Why was that? Think about that. Why is it that someone so learned, like Saul, Saul was a, a, he was the star student of Gamaliel, which was a leading rabbi. In fact, he was the leading rabbi, the teacher of, of Israel. He was just renowned. Why would a student that knows scripture so well was one point persecuting the church and now was a promoter of the gospel of Jesus Christ, why is it that he would waste no time the moment he could see and the moment he was able to be baptized to be baptized? I told you to think about the Ethiopian eunuch. Think about Saul. It's because he knew at that very moment, they both knew, that they wanted to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Take note, because the Ethiopian eunuch and Saul didn't have to pray about whether they were baptized or not. Let me correct a thinking, a way of thinking in the church today. Once you come to salvation in Jesus Christ, you don't have to pray about whether to be baptized or not. At that very moment, you should rise up and be ready and willing to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because now you belong to him. And you can, with Paul, say that the old man has been reckoned dead, as he wrote in Romans, and, and the new has come. We are new creatures in Christ, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We're new creatures. 
But the old has died. The old has died. You can imagine the conversation, though, that, that Saul was having with the others. You know, considering how you were when you first came to know Jesus Christ, the excitement that you had. I was thinking, he knew, he knew the law and the prophets. He knew the Old Testament like no one else. He knew it very well. I wonder if he was thinking about Isaiah chapter 9. Perhaps 42, 43, maybe 52, 53. Jeremiah 31, the Psalms, Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy. No, Leviticus. You know what I'm saying? He, he probably thought about it all. And he's like, wow. From Genesis to Malachi, all of it together, it's pointing to Jesus Christ. All of it. I can just imagine the conversations with Saul at that point. At some point, just as Saul arose and was baptized, so he arose and proclaimed Jesus, as we read here. Now, this is something that normally happens in the life of a new believer in Jesus Christ. You cannot hold him back. He's just continually talking about Jesus. Why? Because that person has come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I've been forgiven of all of my sins. I've been assured of heaven through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I have come to know. Why? Because I have confessed with my own mouth that Jesus is Lord. And he was raised from the grave. And today sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on my behalf. I am assured of heaven because of him. You you can't stop someone. And so this is what normally happens in the life of a new Christian, a new believer. Later, Saul will write to the Romans in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You know, even as you look at his writings, you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is God-breathed. It's always, he's always referencing the Old Testament, the fulfillment of the Old Testament as we see it in Jesus Christ. You know, he's referring to Isaiah 52, uh, verse 7, in that quote in Romans. Isaiah 52, 7 is what he was quoting. And so Saul proclaimed Jesus, and through his understanding of the scriptures, he only increased all the more in strength. You know, for you and I, as we fellowship in any, in any, any form, you know, we can call each other, we can text each other. I know there's a lot of group texts that, that are, are out there that we've put together and, and, uh, and scripture sent, an encouraging word. Um. You're giving more understanding of God's word. As you gain understanding of God's word and how it all comes together, you too are increasing all the more in strength. And you are more confident in the Lord. This is what was happening with Saul. Now, verse 22 tells us that Saul confounded the Jews in Damascus. His peers, the ones that at some point agreed with him to go persecute the church, now they were being confounded by Saul. Because why? He, because he was proving that Jesus was the Christ. Can you imagine? I mean, his peers. 
At one point you were arguing against the Christians, and now you're arguing for the Christian faith and Jesus. They were confounded. They were bewildered. And they had good reason for being confounded. But he indeed was proving that Jesus was the Christ. But although Saul increased in strength and was proving that Jesus was the Christ, Saul, you see, was contending with a past. And a very fresh past of contention. Contending with the very faith that now he was practicing. He was enjoying. A very fresh past of aggression toward the church against Christianity. In fact, in this same chapter... Verses 1 and 2, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Wasn't that just some days ago? Of course he's confounding the Jews now. He was supposed to be in Damascus arresting Christians. And now he's proving that what they had been declaring this whole time is indeed correct. This is why those Jews were skeptical. Verse 21 says, And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? So they were asking. You know, as people know our past, especially if it's fresh, that we have just come to know Jesus Christ, people, people are naturally skeptic, skeptical. I know perhaps that's something that you've come across. You may not have a religious, biblical, scholar type of a background like Saul did, but you have something to contend with. Uh, someone who didn't have much of a, like a radical conversion like Saul did. He had a radical conversion. Not everyone has those radical conversions. You've been for the most part, a pretty upstanding citizen. There's, you know, you've basically followed the rules and you've grown up in the church. Uh, I didn't grow up in the church, so, you know, that's, that, wasn't, that wasn't my past. But perhaps something that you contend with is that very thing, is that you've grown up really not, you, you, you don't have this crazy background. That's a contention, too. That's something that you contend with. It's like, well, at at what point did you come to know Christ? At what point did you take personal responsibility for your faith? At what point did you assume accountability for your salvation? There has to be a point. There has to be a point to where you could look back to and say, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Because not even... PKs, uh, pastor's kids, or anyone else that grows up in the church, not even they, they come to faith except by confession, confession of their own faith. It's not mom and dad's faith. It's their own. So at some point, and we all contend with something. For others, it may be uh, too much of a change. You know, For those who have, like, you have this, like, crazy past, and there is this radical change, 
perhaps for some people it's just too much. They're like, well, I'm kind of skeptical, you know, because I, I don't know if this is genuine. Only time will tell. Only time will tell. Take note, though, because check this out. Saul was not hung up on his testimony. People already knew that very well. They knew his past. Some people, they're all about their past. You know, they say, you know, they're, they're not, but they are because they're always talking about it. You know, the testimony, your testimony is, has a big impact on someone by the way you live. And then they, at some point, they, they uh, come to learn about your past. And then they want to hear about your testimony. Like, How? How in the world did you come out of that and into a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's powerful. But your focus should always be on the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And don't glorify your past. Don't do that, no matter what. He's the Savior of the world. And in our own lives, we should make every effort to prove that He truly is our Savior and our Lord. Um... Please turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Because at this point, Saul is making every effort to prove that, that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, and asking people to turn to him in belief. So this is what was written in Romans chapter 10 and verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we see the Apostle Paul give a little background of the understanding of the Jews at one point, of what he believed at one point, but then coming to understand, hey, listen, it's not, a, it's not about that. There is no righteousness that we can offer of ourselves. The righteousness that we have come to know is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. For us, for everyone, we simply have to confess, believe, and confess that we believe. Confessing with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our, heart, in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says we shall be saved. So there, there's an example here in, the, in Saul that he didn't look to his past and that's, what he, that's not what he continually pot, uh, brought up. What he was continually proclaiming, declaring to the world was that which was before him. Remember, you are new in Christ with a new hope that will never fade and you have a new message of reconciliation that will never fade. Tell the world about it. Persevere through your personal past and keep your eyes fixed on the hope you have in Christ. 
Secondly, we have persevering through present difficulties. Going back to Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. And I know we skipped over a few verses there, uh, 23 through 25, but we'll get back to that. So persevering through present difficulties. Verse 26 says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and now and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Let's stop there for a moment. This is persevering through present difficulties. You see, after having spent some time in Damascus with the disciples and then going out and proclaiming Jesus as the as as Son of God in the synagogues in Damascus, at that point, Saul had to escape. He had to be lowered uh, in this basket uh, in, out of this, this window of the city, and he had to be let down, and he had to escape. But it was because he was being sought. Uh, his life was being sought after he was... They were wanting to kill him. But we'll come back to that in a few minutes. At this point, Saul has gone from Damascus to Jerusalem, and his past was still a problem. Saul may have convinced uh, the Christians in Damascus that he was genuine, and that his new life in Christ was sincere. But now he traveled from Damascus, and he had traveled to Jerusalem. This was a new, new location with new people uh, who had known more than anyone about his past and who couldn't get past his past, who he used to be. Saul's past became his present problem as it pertained to his faith in Jesus Christ. And when Saul attempted to join the disciples in Jerusalem, they rejected him. They didn't want anything to do with him. And it says here, as we read, they rejected him because they, they were fearful and because of their unbelief. By the way, we need to understand that we cannot see Saul as a victim. This is all part of the process of the Lord in preparing the servant for other things that he has set before him to do and accomplish. This is all part of the process. It's the testing that proves. You know, in school, all of you have been in, in school at some point, if not presently. At some point, we have these things in school called tests. Anyone enjoy tests? Okay, good. I'm in good company. No one enjoys tests. I don't, I don't like tests. But what do tests do? They test your comprehension, right? Do you understand what you've been taught? Or let's see if you've learned what you've been presented with, the material. Your, your comprehension, your, your aptitude. How well do you know what you've been taught? It, it, it gets tested. Did you know that the Lord tests us? The Lord tests us. He tests our faith. Not to find out, like, he's not, you know, I, I wonder how much faith Rawl has. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and test him to see 
for myself where he's at. No, the Lord is omniscient. That means he knows all things. He knows. You know, when we're tested, it's for our own benefit. It's so that when we're tested, what is revealed is really revealed to us. It tells us where we're at with the Lord in our faith. And at that point, we can confess it and say, Yeah, Lord, I've been found wanting here. I have really fallen short, and and I need to, and I'm confessing that. And so I, I need to mature in the Lord in this area or in that area and all, all these areas. So Saul couldn't be looked at as a victim. All of these things, he, he learned that all of those things that he was experiencing served a greater purpose. They're forming and shaping, molding the servant of the Most High to glorify him more and more and more as he continued to be given life. Now, for the people who were there, and who were fearing and didn't believe that he had, he was genuine, or, or at least they, they, didn't, they didn't think so. They didn't think he was sincere. There was legitimate reason for not trusting that this man was now a fellow Christian, for those there in Jerusalem. Because it wasn't that long ago that Saul had made his purpose in life into persecuting Christians. That's what he gave himself to, bringing them bound to Jerusalem to the chief priests to condemn. That's what he was going to Damascus to do, and now he is back in Jerusalem. Now he's back in Jerusalem. And he's actually not persecuting the Christians, but he's actually a Christian. And he's trying to join the Christians, like the fellowship, everyone coming together. It's almost laughable. Perhaps he's trying to infiltrate to get a list of Christians to persecute. Now, I'm going to give you an example, and this is just my own mind and the way I think. All right? It would be like through the back doors, our beloved governor coming through. Right? Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom comes through those doors. And he says, no, 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 I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm here. I, you know what? I just, I came to faith in Jesus Christ and, and I just want a fellowship with you guys. <laughs> would anyone be skeptical? Would we have reason to be skeptical? We would, right? We, we would kind of wonder, are you sure you're not just trying to infiltrate and come in? And, you know, we would wonder. And this is just an example, Right? But listen to this. If the Lord could do it with Saul, who was personally going, binding people, that's arresting people personally, and bringing them bound to Jerusalem to be persecuted, so he can do it in the life and heart of anyone. And we need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our governor. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for every single one of them. Because the one thing that I know the Lord desires above all is that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But let's bring it back to this. Because at this time, the Christians in Jerusalem, they were very skeptical. They, they didn't really truly believe 
that Saul was a Christian. But then arrives Barnabas. Barnabas had great insight. He takes Saul to the apostles. He takes him to the leaders of the church. And and he presents him to them and explains to them that his conversion came uh, as he first was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And this is what happened when he got to Damascus and he went to the house of Judas. And then Ananias came, laid hands on him. He received his sight, so on and so forth. So he explained to them all of this. And they believed him. And they saw that he was a genuine Christian, a genuine convert. And Barnabas was there to help him along, to point them, to point him, to vouch for him, to encourage him in his newfound faith in Jesus Christ. We need more Barnab- Barnabases in our lives. Perhaps you should be a Barnabas to someone else to help them in their new faith. Oh, so crucial. So crucial. I remember my Barnabas. Because as I told you, I was not raised in the church. So I didn't know. What what do I do now? You know, so we just come to church, you know, on Sundays. And that's being a Christian. The answer is, by the way, no. (laughs) That's a a Christian is a full-time position in Christ. It's, It's who you are. And so I remember that Barnabas pointing me toward fellowship, toward Bible studies, um, you know, introducing me to different people and helping me grow in my faith. We need to be that for other people. Because everyone needs a Barnabas who is willing to vouch for a new believer, one who will encourage the other Christians to accept the new convert and help him or her in their new life in Christ. Well, the apostles were convinced of Saul's conversion. And thus he freely and boldly preached Jesus and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. The Greek-speaking Jews. They were the ones that had embraced the Greek culture. And now, this all may appear as if it had happened in rapid succession, you know, one moment after the other. But do you know how long Saul spent in Damascus? It was three years. Three years. If we just read Acts chapter 9 and go from Damascus to Jerusalem, we have, and, and think that, that that just happened like overnight, think again. It was over the course of three years. Saul, Saul dealt with this opposition and rejection for several years. In fact, turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to go to verse 11. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. The Apostle Paul writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days 
but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So it gives us a little bit more insight. That's why it's important to read uh, the whole counsel of God, uh, read through the Bible so you can start to put things together. And so we have three years that Saul dealt with opposition and, uh, and he continued to persevere in the Lord. You see, he was a new creature and he continued to go. He was continually being strengthened by having a deeper understanding of the word of God and he just kept going. It was because of the time that Saul spent with Jesus that he was able to contend for the faith, proclaim the good news boldly and confidently. Saul was learning how to persevere through his past and present difficulties by spending more time with Jesus in his word, in prayer, and in fellowship. How important is fellowship? It's very important. Number one with Jesus, number two with each other. It is critical. You know, during this time that we've been apart physically, I, I, I thank God for the technology that we have. And as I did first service, I'll do it again. I am so thankful for Stephen, for uh, Darcy, for Isaac, for the people who came together and helped put WebEx together because that was our form of Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. I, I was, I don't know about you, but I was stirred up to love and good works. I was encouraged by all of those who participated on, on that platform. It was just, it was wonderful to be able to do that. I needed that throughout the time. I, so I'm, I'm glad that we made the effort to do that and made that available, and we were able to take advantage of it. And uh, so... Up to, to now, I mean, this is how I saw you guys. It was just a little screen, right? That's all it was. But now we're here in person. How important is fellowship? It's, oh, it's critical. It's crucial. Crucial. But more importantly, it's spending that time with the Lord. Spending time in His Word, in prayer, and in fellowship. Listen to this. Saul attempted to join the disciples. Remember, as he came into Jerusalem... Where, where is it there that he went? He went to the, to the Christians. He said, where are they? I, I, need to go, I need to go be with them. He already had experienced time with them in Damascus. Now he's in Jerusalem. I, I need to gather together with them. He knew the importance of, of fellowship. And it says that he was going in and out among them, which means that he knew fellowship and he, and he immersed himself in it. He immersed himself in fellowship. A man like Saul knew that it was important to fellowship. Saul was persevering through his past and present difficulties by spending more time in God's word, in prayer, in fellowship, and in serving Jesus. Those things, critical elements to the life of a Christian. Proverbs 18.1, for anyone who normally goes off by himself, it says, here, it says this here, Proverbs 18.1, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. All sound judgment. God's word. 
Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do you combat present difficulties? You do this. Do you have any present difficulties you need to persevere through? Spend more time in God's word, in prayer, in fellowship, and in serving Jesus. So persevering through a personal past, persevering through present difficulties, and anyone dealing with a threat of personal harm. No, because we really need to pray for you if that's the case. But it's not the case with us here, right? But we're going to read about it anyway, because this is, this is with Saul. This is what's happening with him. Back to verse 23, it says, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now let's go down to verse 29. It says, But they were seeking now in Jerusalem. That was Damascus, now Jerusalem, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And then verse 31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You know, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8.35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8-10, through 10, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So no matter what we're going through, we don't lose hope, we're not destroyed, we're not crushed, we're, 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 uh, we're persecuted, but not forsaken, we're, we're not left alone. The Lord is with us. He is our strength. Nehemiah 10 says, the joy of the Lord is, is our strength. We look to him. What we see here is that Paul, as that, that Paul was pursued. Saul had departed Jerusalem the first time as a hunter of Christians. And then he's now departing Jerusalem for the second time. He went up to Caesarea and then off to Tarsus. He was sent off by the other disciples. They said, there's no way, Saul. You go, you take off. We got it covered here. Just take off. Now he is leaving as one who is being persecuted. First he was the uh, persecutor of the Christians. Now he's the promoter of Christianity and the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, he's leaving Jerusalem the second time as the hunted. Saul knew that his life's meaning was completely wrapped up in Christ. As he writes in Philippians one twenty one, For to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. And so we see nothing move Saul. His hope was, without any doubt, completely known and held in Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, just jot down 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 33. Because it's there that Saul gives us a little bit more insight and then brings us back to that time that he was in Damascus. So jot down 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 33. So even though all this was going on in Saul's life, as we see in verse 31, the church continued to be built up, continued to grow. It continued to thrive under persecution. I mean, please read with me here. 
Correct me if I'm wrong. These times in the life of the, the church, was it all peaceful? Was it all good? Absolutely not. These Christians were hunted. And yet it says this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. In walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You see, the church isn't 1600 Chicago Avenue, Suite R7. That's not the church. It is a place where we come together and worship. But it's not the church. You're the church. If you've come to know Christ, spread that good news to others and then be the church. Learn to persevere through a personal past. Learn to persevere through present difficulties. And even persevere through the threat of personal harm. Do you know that new life in Christ? Have you come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? And I pray that you have. This is the type of evidence that lives in the life of a Christian. Nothing moves him. And his hope is in nothing and no one else but Jesus Christ. May he be our hope and our very life. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you that we have been forgiven of all of our sins in him, that we, like, like Saul, we know a true conversion, knowing that the old man has, has passed and the new has come. I pray, Father, that you would encourage us as, uh, as your people, that you would build us up and prepare us to give an answer for the hope that lies within us to anyone who asks, anyone who is willing to incline their ear to us. So, Father, continue to have your word resonate in our hearts. We thank you once more for your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray.